Welcome to Life's a Beach. I'm Bruce Hopkins, better known as Hoppo from Bondi Rescue. Each week I'll be sharing some stories, the good, the bad and everything in between. I'll be chatting to guests about their life experiences and giving our listeners an insight to the challenges we have faced in our lives. We'll share a few jokes and some banter along the way and hopefully our experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Hey everyone, this week on Life's a Beach, in the Beach Shack, we have John McLean. Now, he had a tragic accident when he was run over by a truck while he was cycling out in Penrith, the western suburbs of Sydney, and from there, he tells his story on how positive he was and also how many events and different sports he did and achieved amazing results. Also, talks about his foundation, helping other kids who are in wheelchairs. So let's sit back and have a listen to my chat with John. Okay, this week in the Beach Shack, it's a pleasure. I've uh, only known him for a short time, but uh, he's got an uh, incredible story and a, an unbelievable motivator. Welcome, John McLean. Thanks, Hopper. Now, we'll go through your story, but originally you were born in Carringbar. Is that where you grew up? No. As a family immigrated from Scotland, our parents, Glaswegians, on the boat back in the day. So, uh, yeah, I was the, the lucky one in my family. I've got an older brother, Mark, and an older sister, Marion. I'm the baby, and I was born in Carringbar. So... What a beautiful part of the world to be born, uh, but we couldn't afford to stay there, Hopper, so uh, we grew up uh, out west in uh, Tregear, suburb of Mount Druitt. So that was out, you know, around yeah, the Penrith area, Mount Druitt's a bit, bit further out, I think, is it? Yeah, so um, one of the things that my dad said uh, as a kid, uh, which kind of leads into Tregear to Penrith, he said, uh, you've got to do sport, that's, that's going to happen. Um, it's a great way of meeting people and making friends. So um, you guys work it out. So we did a little athletics in the summer and, and footy on in the winter. So I played for the local Trigge Foxes and the dream was one day maybe go and play for the Penrith Panthers, which we used to go and support, you know, with the jersey and the flag and all that kind of stuff. So uh, that's a connection between Trigge and Penrith. And do you still, you still follow uh, Penrith? Are they your team, rugby league? Yeah, I, I, um, my dream was to play first grade. I wasn't good enough to do that, but I played uh, reserve grade for, for a bit of a season. And it was wonderful to kind of chase chased the dream and you know it was looking back hop I was just thinking I used to line up as a little boy with a you know a little notepad and a pencil just hoping that one of the players might be kind enough as they leave the sheds to scribble something on there for me and some did and some didn't uh, and when I was offered that opportunity many years later obviously every single time I remembered back I was never going to say no to anyone um, and again I was I was average but um, it was it was nice to put on the Panther jersey and yes I still follow the lads. <laughs> Well, I remember when you're saying getting autographs, I remember the, uh, you probably remember the old sports ground there where the eastern suburbs of Roosters used to play out of. And I did the same thing, standing there with my autograph book uh, at the sheds, the old shed, wooden sheds that they used to open the doors. And, yeah, great, great times. And, yeah, same thing, mate. I, uh, I do that now as well when kids pop, come down the beach and want to get a photo and things like that. Of, I do it for every single person that comes. Yeah, it's a good uh, it's a good message, Hoppo, isn't it? Because the cycle, um, some of us lose track between the importance of you know you start here, carrying by. You mentioned that 
I'm going to end somewhere. So are you, so is everyone else. Um, it's what you do along the way and don't forget where you come from. So, um, yeah, good memory for playing footy and for you to sign autographs for those kids. They would have got a kick out of having that opportunity. So, mate, you're talking about, you know, football, you're playing, you're also doing triathlon uh, out there at Penrith and you were training to do the Nepean triathlon and looking forward to that. But then suddenly uh, your life got turned upside down. That's, I guess, the start of my story in, in a different way. And I recall back uh, leading up to that, uh, my, my buddy at the time, Colin, he was a aerobic instructor. And he said, listen, there's a new sport out. It's called a triathlon. I'm, I'm going to beat you. So that was the challenge straight away. Uh, I didn't swim. As you know, there's not a lot of beach out there. <laughs> <I'm sure. laughs> um, so I breaststroke the whole swim and then I rode the bike and I beat him. So I was happy with that. Uh, he beat me the following year. And then it was, you know, it was the final, uh, which I was training for when I got hit by the truck. So, um, yeah, I woke up, come out of a coma after getting hit by the truck on the freeway and, mate, life had changed. So, mate, tell us a bit about the, you know, you're riding your bike and the trucks hit you from behind. And do you remember anything at the time or that's just a big blank? Um, I do. It's, it's funny. It's not funny, but when you actually stop and think and allow the space for that to happen, all the pictures can come back. Meaning, if I was to say to you, do you remember your first girlfriend? Do you remember your first kiss? Do you remember your first card? Keep on with that inquiry of thinking. You know, it starts to bring back those thoughts. So I was hit from behind by the truck, and I'd see that as a blessing because uh, I don't have that picture coming towards me. I was riding my bike down. I was living up at Falkenbridge at the time up the mountains, flying down on my bike and just thinking, you know, how good is this? I'm just loving life. And on the way back, uh, my plan was to come down from Glenbrook at 100 kilometres an hour and I was in the process of uh, getting a buddy to build a tandem bike. So, you know, whacking you on the front or me on the front and, you know, two people going quick down a hill was where I was working towards. I would just remember after that, I woke up uh, out of the coma. My first words to my dad was, how's my bike? And, you know, I think when you have that athlete mindset, it's kind of you're into whatever you're into at the time. And dad said to me, son, you know, we don't need to worry about that at the moment. Uh, he was told by the surgeon he didn't expect me to live. So this is a couple of days later coming out of the coma. So very grateful for a couple of things. Hoppo, one, uh, when you go through a spinal unit and you get it by a truck, you're grateful for life. I can share that with you. And number two, if you're, if you're a para, which I am, an incomplete para, um, you're grateful for some function. So um, that's that was kind of the take out of uh, getting hit by the truck. So when you woke up and obviously you asked how, like where you, how your bike was, so you had no idea then? How long before you realised there was something seriously wrong? Yeah, so um, I think this, my natural thought of my last memory was I was riding a bike. So come out of the coma, obviously there's a lot of drugs that help to keep someone alive and pain management and all the things that you'd be aware of more than most. So um, that was just my first thought. I said, you know, there's my dad. Hey, Dad, how's my bike? So I didn't know what happened. I, no one had kind of shared that with me. And then after that, I passed out again because obviously they were putting in the morphine or pethidine or whatever was happening at the time. And then I remember waking up. Uh, this was now probably three or four days later after that. And the, the level of pain hoppo is really hard to articulate. There's, there's no words that come that I've come across that says this equals that. But let's just say it hurt. And then because not only did I get hit by the truck, not only did I break 12 bones, damaged my spinal cord, but also my body was used as a brake after getting hit by a truck, eight tonnes, 110 kilometres an hour freeway. You know who wins that one. And then stopping getting collided with the guardrail. 
So my skins was just ripped off the bone. So every four hours in a spinal unit, you may know, they've got to lift you up and turn you because to prevent pressure errors or pressure sores from forming. So you can imagine the red uh, raw skin is connected to the sheets and they just get ripped off every... And that was... When, when you think about that, you think, oh, that, that would hurt. But I think the 12 bones hurt and I think damage to the spinal cord hurts to a level. And again, that's hard to, to say. So then, you know, I was told I was hit by a truck riding the bike and I'm now in a spinal unit. And, you know, the other guy who was on the other in a, uh, ICU, he was riding a motorbike and uh, broke his neck so he couldn't move at all. So there's, the, there's your first introduction to a spinal unit. And there's your introduction to, A, you're hurting, but just stop for a second and think about what the guy's like on the other side of the room. And you start to put things into perspective. So that, sorry, Hopo, that was um, what was told to me after my accident. And how was the, did you take that? Obviously you said, you know, as you're saying then, you were appreciative of, of you know, you're looking at another person, a spinal unit who couldn't move at all from, from the neck down, but you had movement in, you know, your upper body. Is it that's did that click in straight away, or when was the reality that shit? I, I can't walk anymore. Well, I, I can give you my experience. Um, one of the things I've learned over the years is you can try as much as you can to think what someone else is thinking or feeling. Um, let me bring it closer to home with you. I don't know you, um, and even if we spent a lot of time together, I'd have a sense of you, but only you look out of your eyes with your experiences. So, back to my experience, the number one thing was the pain. So you're not really thinking anything more than how do I get out of the pain? And obviously that's when the drugs keep coming in and trying to manage that. Uh, I couldn't use my right arm because I had to pin and plate both humerus and ulna, the bones in the uh, um, on the right side. So that was non-functional. Clearly the body wasn't working, but I still had use of my left hand. And then I think, you know, when you're talking to the guy on the other side, when, when, the, when you can, and listening to his story, that's when you're starting to say, you know, I'm, I'm lucky, I'm alive because – I don't know anyone who's got hit by a, a truck and survived on a push bike. So I'm very grateful for that. And then you start to go, all right, what does that look like for me? And to answer your question, I went to the bottom of the barrel and that means you're, um, there's, just, there's nothing else. Uh, when you're in a spinal unit in particular, the curtain is a door that's open to the medical staff, doctors, interns, physios, everyone who comes in, and you're just the person that's on the bed. So... Your confidence, self-worth, ego, all of that stuff is non-existent and you're just an essence of who you were previously and you're trying to make sense of all of that. So when uh, I started to realise um, that I'm not going to be able to do what I love to do, and that's that's an important point, I love to run. You know, I was a kind of centre wing for footy, so that's what I love to do. And, you know, run on the beach and uh, all the things that uh, – you truly love in life, you're not going to do. And there, that's a bitter pill to swallow. But you need to get out of that bed because they want you to get out of the – so for me that was um, eight weeks bed rest and then back through the normal system, osteo, physio, hydro, get you out of there because someone else is ready to take that bed. So it's a massive transition. And one of the things I learned in hospital, Hoppo, is – what about kids in wheelchairs? Because now I just reflected directly back to me being fortunate, grateful that I, I could use my legs for as long as I could. Um, but what if I went to uh, a local school and I was in a wheelchair as a boy? You know, would my friends still want to be my friends? Uh, would the school allow me to go? They would it be accessible? Would, uh, you know, all these kinds of, 
could, could you get on a bus? Could you do it? And I look back, a lot of that now is no way in the world that would have been the case. So therefore, where would I have been sent to? And so the two things I took away from the spinal unit, one was I'm lucky to be alive, and two, I've got to find a way of helping kids in wheelchairs. I wasn't sure what, what I was going to do with a second chance of life, but I knew I had to do something. Well, this was back in 1988, so it probably wasn't a lot of accessible areas, even for yourself when you came out of hospital and you had to get around. And So what was that experience like? Yeah, so the, the normal experience is you go from a spinal unit to a rehab centre, and Ride Morong is the name of that, was the local rehab. It was full, so there were no, there were no beds available, and that meant I had to go to a hospital closer to home, home being Mount Druid, as we mentioned, the closest hospital they could get me to was a geriatric hospital in Kingswood, Kingswood not too far from uh, Penrith. And Hoppe, I've got to tell you, mate, that was one of the scariest nights of my life because you've got older men with dementia and let's not go too much into that, but it really scared me. But it was also a gift in a way because it gave me an insight that we all have this time, you know, and I think for you and I, we're closer to the back of it opposed to the front of it. And therefore there's this vague memory that I can kind of look back and think what that was uh, like. And, you know, I'm going to do all, all that I can that I'm not going to be in a similar situation. So I had to adjust, and uh, thanks to my dad, because I remember they said the first night I had to have powdered scrambled eggs. Here's, here's, a, here's a good ego um, that gets taken away. And dad, dad said, whatever you want, son, what can I get you? And I said, oh, Dad, Chuck, oh, chicken's my, you know, my go-to. And the nurse said, no, you're having powdered scrambled eggs with the rest of the patients, and that's it, because she was the matron and, you know, like a head coach, right? That's, this is what's happening. So that's what I had. And then I gradually went home and then we started to make the most of what I could do. Hoppo and Dad taking me to hydrotherapy and, and gyms and trying to build myself up again. But um, they were definitely challenging times way back then. And you're right, the world's a lot more accessible today than it was uh, back in 1988. Now, mate, uh, how long did it take before you realised I'm going to have a crack at all these different sports, which will touch on what you've done over the last 25 years or so, but... You know, there must have been a, a period of I'm not going to be able to do anything or did you always have the mindset that, no, hang on, I'm, I'm going to do certain things in my life? Um, hop over to I'm going to take it back just for a little bit, which kind of helps frame up the next bit. I met some guys in the spinal unit that said they were going to call it a day and they did. Uh, they were encouraging me to do the same. Uh, my thoughts were, you know, I fought so hard to survive. I felt like I did all that I could both this, you know, conscious, subconscious, drug-induced, whatever. But So therefore, I didn't want to go that option. And therefore, I was uh, grateful for a couple of things. Uh, my best mate, John Young, who I played footy with, he came to visit me once a week for four months. And isn't that a beautiful thing to throw out even today, you know, 2023? Who would you go and visit in hospital who visit your best mate once a week for four months? I mean, it's a big ask, isn't it? Because we all say, yeah. you know, we're time poor with some that. But he was, um, was like... I asked him many years later why he did do that. And he said, well, I was in hospital a lot as a kid and no one came to visit me. So I knew what it was like. So anyway, back to your question. So then I went, all right, let's do the triathlon again because there was a hand cycle that was important. That's the bike bit. I already had a wheelchair, so I thought I could do it. And I think we all have mountains to climb, but we don't always have the courage to try. I think when, when, when we're kids, we do. We chase dreams. As we start to get older, we, we, we put them on a the back burner. We come up with a myriad of excuses. So I said to Jono, mate, I want to do this triathlon only with you because I was insecure, I was still fragile, I was all the things that you would imagine of someone who was confident pre-accident and then not. And I just wanted to do it with him because he was my guy who was a, you know, 104, I'm oh, sorry, 6'4", 
120 kilos a unit, front rower. And he put me straight. He said, no, mate, you're going to do it with me and everybody else. That's it. And I'm glad he did stretch me because if he didn't, I may not have gone on to do other stuff. But uh, by lining up with him and every other competitor at the Nepean Triathlon, it was it was tough, Hopper, because there was only one hand cycle and there was only one wheelchair. But there was one mate that was prepared to carry his mate into the water, wait for him. You know, it wasn't running out the water. He was waiting for his mate. I could get on the on his back to piggyback me up this steep hill. And he goes, you're right. And I said, good. So he went off and did his thing. And eventually I crossed the finish line. And then i tell you what it did for me, Hoppo. It, it introduced me back into the game of life. And I've always used sport as examples for life and business. And But he, he pushed me to challenge myself. And then I felt like I was part of the family again. You know, I was the only one in the wheelchair at the time in the country. But I thought, you know, why, why can't I participate like others? And therefore, thanks to Jono, that was an appealing triathlon, which opened the door to many of the many of the other stuff that followed. Well, touching on the other stuff, you then went on to do the Hawaiian Ironman. That was, I mean, that's a massive challenge for anybody, let alone, you know, what you would have had to go through. Yeah, and there's, um, I'm going to give a couple of examples, Hoppo. And the reason I want to give you a couple of examples is that I believe that opportunities present themselves for all of us all the time. So the question there is, do I have ears and eyes open to those opportunities? Example, um, I'd done the triathlon with Jono. I thought, what's next? I thought I heard there was a triathlon in Canberra called Sri Shimnoi, which was, I don't know, 2K uh, swim, 90K bike, 20K run. That's when I kind of moved up to a racing wheelchair. And after that, I saw the Hawaiian Ironman on television. I went, how good is this? And I, this is, this is uh, watching the 94 event, and he's Welshy. Bloody champion he is. He, you know, first yeah. non-American to win the thing. I love the guy. You know, he, he crosses a line, jumps in the air with his Australian flag. And, oh, it's just so proud and, you know, what, a, what an awesome. But also there was a guy in a wheelchair. Now, he didn't finish. Here we go for this opportunity. So we have a choice. We can sit back and say, who's going to be the person in the wheelchair the following year? Or could that be me? Could that be you? So that's how that door opened. I got in touch with the race director. She simply said, whoever wins the wheelchair uh, qualifying race in Florida, Panama City. They'll then come to Hawaii as a demonstration to see whether it's possible to complete Hawaii. So that was my first experience in uh, 1995. And you did go on and complete the one I mean. Yeah, so I'll cut that one short. Um, I missed the. I did the swim in one seven. I missed the bike cut off by 40 minutes. It's a tough day. You may know the conditions there. So for those who don't, it's a 3.8 k swim, 180 k bike headwinds kind of hit you on in the afternoon and then it finished it off with a marathon. So that's the world champs. So I missed the, the first year, missed it by 40 minutes. I asked to continue, finished 14.52. Went back the next year. I missed the bike cut off by 15 minutes due to a flat. Again, asked to go on 14.39. Went back the next year. There's now an official category. I was very proud that uh, maybe we played a part in that and I won it. Uh, went 12.21 and it was a real honour to, uh, to be with the Ironman athletes Back in the day, so um, it, it's a sport that I that really launched, I guess, for me. Hopo, some of the other stuff that's happened since, but um, the opportunity was presented, and I wanted to grab it with both arms. And then, with you grabbing the opportunity, do you think it's uh, you know encouraged a lot of other athletes to come out and, and now you know because uh, now you're looking at there's, there's multiple people in wheelchairs doing all types of sports and. Yeah, which is fantastic. But do you think you were the pioneer of, uh, in a certain way? I think so because um, 
Ironman or NBC, who box up that event each year and kind of distribute it around the world, uh, had, had interviewed me and that was kind of five minutes of that race that year. So I, I was always hopeful if I could open up the doors for others, then that's a good thing, right? So it doesn't have to be traditional uh, wheelchair sports. Uh, maybe some of the kids in wheelchairs might be interested in something outside of that. So here's a good example. Many athletes have gone on to complete the Hawaiian Ironman. A really good story to share with you, Lauren Parker. She had her accident five years ago, a female uh, triathlete. She'd already got top 10 age group in Hawaii. She had her accident uh, riding her bike. I went to visit her in hospital, um, threw out a challenge, saying there's no reason why you can't be the first uh, straight female. She did that last year. So, so wonderful to sit back and watch her grow. She's now ranked number one in the world in paratriathlon leading into the Games for Paris next year. She got a silver medal in Tokyo. She's also now number one on the hand cyclists in the world, both for time trial and road racing. So I think by doing those experiences as little kids, you know, you look up and you can see other people doing stuff, which kind of opens the door for them. Now, mate, touching on another area where you said there wasn't much swimming because you're out at Mount Druitt, but, mate, you went on and did the English Channel. How did that come about? Opportunity. So there's a local guy back then in Penrith. I was in Penrith Pool. This guy by the name of Ian Byrne, who's a solicitor, now lives in Manly. He was at the local pool and he basically said, I said, congratulations, mate. That's awesome. I mean, solicitor, right? So he's working as a solicitor. During his lunch break, he goes for a swim and out. So he's not doing it in the ocean. He's doing it in the pool. And he basically said, mate, if I can do it, so can you. So now I'm sponsored by Nike, obviously the Ironman, Gatorade, you know, Holden, Aquinas, all these amazing sponsors that you don't even dream of as a kid being sponsored. I've, as I mentioned earlier, it's kind of average playing footy. So um, I took the bait and I thought, you know, they're, they're going to continue to sponsor me, but I needed to come up with a challenge to justify the relationship. And as a funny aside, I mean, I'm not going to wear through too many Nike pairs of shoes, am I? So, <laughs> you know, you, and then, you know, I then started to get paid to have the product. So that's how that happened. Uh, I met a very dear friend uh, who was running Gatorade in Australia here back then, a guy called David Knight. He called me into his office to meet his marketing team. He said, oh, what are you thinking? I said, I wouldn't mind if you guys would fund a documentary of me swimming the channel. A little bit of history, I've, I've done an Man, so I think I'm capable of a challenge. He then invested $100,000 in the marketing budget. He was my support swimmer, so he picked me up. He was in Bellevue Hill at the time. I'd meet him at Bondi there on a, um, on a Saturday morning. Uh, we'd go on the north side. We'd just do laps backwards and forwards. I did the training at, at the lakes in Penrith for the uh, open stuff, and I did the local pool at night. So thanks to David, uh, thanks to the team, we, we swam the channel on the second attempt. First attempt after nine hours, they called it off because of the conditions. Uh, 13 days later, we got a second chance. And very happy to say that we as a team managed to cross the channel in 12 hours 55. And also that documentary was sold to National Geographic and Discovery. And there was emails from right around the world from kids in wheelchairs and stuff going, you know, we saw you do that. So, you know, it's inspired a lot. So thanks to David for encouraging me and being a part of the team and that was a wonderful experience to eat whatever you want as much as you want <laughs> but swim, swimming in nine degrees hopper was chilly in the lakes in Penrith so um that that's the channel mate you can have that uh yeah I'm not real good with the cold water <laughs> but what a, a magnificent achievement though and and how was it at the end were you buzzing that you completed something like did you think you'd ever complete something like that well I, I was trying to break everything down to its uh Basic denominator. So what, what does that mean? When I first went to Penrith Pool after talking to Ian Byrne, I thought, I know what the challenge is. I didn't have a coach. 
I thought, just get in the pool and go up and down and see how far you can go. So I knew I could swim 3.8, and that was obviously the swim for the, for the Ironman. Uh, and then this guy walks up and he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm swimming and I'm training. He goes, what are you training for? And I said, um, train for the channel. This guy's name is David Harvey, who was also associated with uh, North Bondi. He said, I'm a coach. You know, I'll come and help you with stroke correction and let's go. So that was that. Back towards – so he was there at the end of the swim. David was there at the end of the swim. Wally Brumiak, my other support swimmer, was there at the end of the swim. That's my team. And um, I've got to say a, a beautiful follow-on story, Hoppo. The captain of the boat is a fisherman. He says to David on the way back, hey, you're a pretty good swimmer. You could do this. And David said, oh, yeah, I'll do it when I'm, when I'm 40. So I, I heard that. And I rang him up for his 39th birthday to go, hey, I can't wait to be your support swimmer. And he goes, oh, you heard that? And I said, yeah. <laughs> so it was awesome to be on the boat with him when he swam the channel. So, uh, yes, I was buzzing and equally I'm sure he was buzzing. But he turned around to come back again. And after 20 hours, he was pretty tired. Yeah, mate, I think if you, if you set yourself a challenge, I mean, those things are difficult, right? They're not easy. But uh, if, you, if you take one stroke at a time, uh, you're a chance. So that's, that was the approach. And we managed to get across and um, made that celebratory dinner that we had in Paris. That was special. <laughs> Would have been great times, mate. Great. You also represented Australia. Now, you got to carry the Olympic torch at the Olympics and Paralympics for the 2000 Games in Sydney. Now... That, that's a massive honour. It is. And let, let me, let me can I do a build-up to that? Because I think it's also important about the highs and lows in life and therefore how do, we, how do we balance them out. So here I am sponsored by Nike. Nike had done a commercial and I'm the mayor of Nike Town. That's pretty cool. You know, I'm in a wheelchair going up this hill and two boys run down it and they say, good morning, man, Mr. Man. I say, morning, boys. And then it peels off to a sign and say, thanks for visiting Nike Town. Just this piece on you know, just do it kind of stuff. So that's a high. Uh, doing commercials for Holden. You remember Holden as a as, as a sponsor. You know, and all this stuff, Hoppo, is massive. And then I get to carry the torch uh, down my street. Every, every person who carried the torch, you might remember, had a support person just in case something happened. And I remember uh, coming down my street and the girl that was next to me and how much she was, you know, just buzzing, to use your term. And I just thought, let her have it, right? So I said, can you carry this for a second? And just to see the joy in her eyes, because I don't know too many other people who did that, but the point was that um, equally I could have been the support person. And, you know, it was really nice to be able to do that. And then mum and dad, they, they were there to see that. And it was a really, really special time. And Delhi Carr, world-class photographer, was able to capture those moments. And I think back, uh, Hoppo, because mum and dad saw me at my darkest. Here I am, you know, as a kid growing up, having dreams and then in a spinal unit and they saw that moment in time. So it's always nice to share those experiences and, mate, it was, uh, it was unbelievable. I was so proud. And, mate, then uh, you were competing in the Paralympics and tell us a bit about that and the sports that you're involved with. Yeah, so I thought after the channel a couple of things I needed to do. I needed to chase another goal. I'm a goal-orientated kind of guy. I like this piece about, you know, is it possible? Let's try and work out what a result might look like. So I found out that uh, wheelchair racing was the most competitive. I mean, all Paralympic sports are competitive, but in terms of an individual sport, and I wonder how I'd go against the good guys. And, you know, there's no easy path to the Paralympics. You need to qualify in order to, to get there. You needed to equal a silver medal time from the previous games to get what they call a qualifying A. So I managed to do that in a, in a bunch of events. So we did the 4x4 relay, the 1500, uh, the 5000, the 10,000 and the marathon. 
So what I learned, Hoppo, was the athletes that were good enough to focus on one event, maybe two, kind of did well. The guys like me, you know, newbies, uh, kind of burned ourselves out along the way. But, um, mate, it was awesome to have that opportunity to represent the country and put on the green goal. And obviously, yeah, competing in your hometown. Yeah, so I, I won a little athletics championships when I was 12, both at a state and a national level. And I thought that was kind of, you know, 1,500 back in the day. So, you know, to be at Homebush and, and have that experience and they did such a wonderful job to invite the schools and, you know, retired and, I mean, the, the stadiums were packed and there was a great vibe right through the Olympics and the Paralympics, Hopper, you might recall. It was a, a beautiful time here in Australia and excited about what's going to happen in Brisbane 32, but it was a special time to be an Australian and just proud of who we are and what we're able to achieve. And I also noticed that you, you're in the national wheelchair basketball team, so you played basketball as well? Yeah, so I made the um, I made the train on squad for the '96 games, but I had to had a decision to make. Uh, this is from the coach. He said you won't be starting five, but you're able to shoot three pointers. I did a little bit of workout in the gym, so you'll be you're you're on the team. So then I went. This going back a bit, Hopper. I went back and thought, what do I want more? Chasing the the basketball, or do I want to chase Hawaii? And for me at the time, um, Hawaii meant a lot to me because I had my accident training for a triathlon. And therefore, in my eyes, I thought if I could complete Hawaii, I would see myself as being equal to others. So this is my conversation with myself. And that's what I chose. And ironically, uh, Hoppo, the team went on to win a gold medal. So, um, But it was the right decision for me at the time. And, mate, you also, 2001, Sydney to Hobart Yacht Race. What was that like? One of the lifeguards did one uh, last year. He did the uh, Sydney to Hobart. But how was that? Yeah, it was good. So I met uh, David Peskett, who uh, invited me onto his boat. That was sponsored by a company called Aspect. He basically said, I want, want you on the boat, uh, either as a participant or, you know, you can just watch it. I said, if I'm not doing something, I don't want to be on the boat. So what are my options? And he said, okay, we can uh, we can get a grinder on the boat. You know, and we'll make sure we strap your chair to the deck. And your job is to bring the mainsail to set a line. And that's that's what we'll do with you. And I said, perfect. So, Hoppo, the beautiful thing about the ocean, which I have, um, I didn't have much access to as a kid, but I certainly do these days. There's something beautiful about the ocean in the in the sense that when you get out there, but you and I in Colorado, you know, get out beyond the breakers and stuff, or if you're on a yacht and you go from kind of Sydney to Hobart, there's no one else around. So the year that I did it, uh, 2002, when we were around the heads, I didn't see another boat or land for three days, like nothing. And therefore, you get this sense of, so who am I and how do I fit into this picture? In other words, you work out really quickly. You're nothing. You're a drop in this ocean. A big wave could come and just wipe this thing straight out. So there was some, the sunrises and the sunsets and the experiences with the, with the team, it's something I'll never forget, Hoppo. It was absolutely amazing. We came 12th across the line and second in the category. It was a wonderful experience. And again, it was nice to have played in that space. And you also did World Rowing Championships. and Did, did you go 2008 Beijing Paralympics? Yes. Did you go to that? Uh, uh, we did. So it was a mixed category. Uh, my rowing partner, well, this is a good story, Hoppe had a share. So I got a phone call in 2007. It was about February. And this guy says, oh, have you heard of adaptive rowing? And I said, no. He goes, are you interested? I said, no. He said, why? I said, well, just not interested. And he said, it's been included into the Beijing Paralympic program. Are you interested? Yes. So you can see how, you know, we can kind of talk ourselves into stuff. And then um, I went down to meet the coach. He put me on a – you would have seen those Ergo Concept 2 rowing machines. Uh, so they locked the seat 
So it does a slide conventional to put these clamps front and back. Coach said, pretty simple. You get on this, uh, you need to row a kilometre. You need to go better than four minutes and 20 seconds. And if you do, we'll, uh, we'll have another conversation. If you don't, see you later. So imagine any business hopper, you either get these KPIs. <laughs> so anyway, I managed to tick that box. And I said, oh, what's next? He said, uh, you need to win the state champs this weekend. I said, that might be difficult because I haven't even been in a boat. He goes, well, let's go. So just this piece around listening, like really listening, get the basics right. So I managed to do that. And then uh, he said, do you need to win the nationals in six weeks? Did that. He said, do you want to hope there's a girl because it's a mixed category? Uh, lucky there was, Catherine Ross, rowing partner. And we got beat by China by less than a second, Hopper, uh, 0.89, I think it was. And we, you know, we brought back uh, a silver, and that's the first time the adaptive program had received a medal in the inaugural games in Beijing. So it was a real honour to be with Catherine and learn to row and being around the, the elite program. So um, great people and great times. And do you think that was like you're saying earlier in, in this podcast, knowing when the opportunities are, are there, as you said, there's opportunities every minute of the day. Yeah. Um, yes. So you work out whether, because you're either open or closed. Does that make sense? If you're closed, you don't hear it and you don't see it. Irrespective of someone, you know, jumping up and down trying to deliver the message, if, you, if you're just not open to it, well, you don't, you don't see it or hear it. So when I uh, heard it, because it was a phone call initially, my mind went straight to goal. Straight. That's, that's, that's what I'm going for. I learned in Sydney that I did too many. So this is just one. Uh, I may or may not be good enough. We may or may not be good enough. But if we don't try, how will we ever know? So Catherine uh, relocated from Warrnambool to Penrith, which is where I was based. And obviously we had the Olympic uh, rowing course there. And we went to the World Champs and we came second. So that gives you a good indication that you're on point, you're, you're, not, you're being realistic opposed to unrealistic, because I think it's important to set realistic goals to start with. And therefore, let's see what this can look like. I'm the kind of guy, Hopper, that I do all that I can to see whether we can bring a blank canvas to draw a picture on that blank canvas and can we bring it to life. That was my thinking. So we, Catherine and I went close. I mean, less than a second's close and a gold medal is amazing and a silver medal is equally amazing, So as is a bronze. So it depends on where you set it, but that opportunity was presented and, again, Catherine and I made the most of it. And now, in hindsight, looking back in, through your entire life, if the accident didn't happen, you may not have gone on to do all these multiple sports, Olympics, you know... Is it something you think that's your path? Well, I think I think a couple of things there, Hopper. One is that um, you're, you're absolutely right. Would I have gone on to – I mean, I was aspiring to be a fireman. It's what I wanted to do. I was very clear on what I wanted to do whilst I was playing footy. Um, so that would have meant that maybe I would have done that. I was hopeful of doing that. I actually set the test after my accident because that was a career choice. I think it was probably one of the only tests I passed off, eh? but they might have been kind for me. <laughs> Clearly, I didn't get the job, but that kind of created a, an understanding of what their revenue stream could have looked like as a fireman. So that's where I was headed. And then all of a sudden, I'm not heading there anymore, and that's a change of direction. I think everyone goes through change or challenges, both personally and professionally, and therefore it's how you adapt to that change. So I could be a guy uh, not talking to you because you may not have been interested, maybe another uh, side saying I'm angry and I'm sitting in my room and that guy changed the course of my life and I hate him and I hate the world. So there are people like that in our in our lives. 
and that's their choice. So everyone is able to make their own choices in life. Uh, I have a view of always the importance of trying to lift people up, to encourage them, to say there's more, you can do more. There's no no doubt about that. And therefore, I've then made the most of the cards that were dealt since then, Hoppo. So you're right, I would not have been representing any of that stuff because uh, the focus would have been earlier family, earlier firemen, earlier wanting the best for kids, whatever that may have looked like. But um, I'll give you just one quick example which happened recently on the ability of a mindset. Mindset. So a dear friend has four boys. Um, the, the second oldest was saying he might just do a marathon, but he's not going to train for it. The other three brothers were laughing their heads off, like this was hilarious to them. So he said, oh, you know, I can do it. I can do it. And they were like, there's no chance. So in his mind, he went, you know what? I'm going to double it. No, actually, I'm going to, I'm going to do 100. So the next day, no training, just what, what was this kid's mindset on? I know it's his name. He's 20. His mindset was, I'm going to prove my brother's wrong. Guess what? He ran 103 kilometers in 12 hours. What did we learn from that? That we, we are in control of our thoughts. You know, we can drive them. Or we can say, most people, that's too hard. There's no way in the world I could do that. And therefore, talking them out of those experiences. Back to your question. I was down a path, wanted to be a fireman um, and play a bit of footy for as long as I could. The door closed on that. Another one's opened up. Uh, and Hoppo, I've, I've loved chasing all of them and they've been special to me. So I feel like I've been very grateful for life and my friends, obviously family, building teams to have a crack at some of this stuff. And also you do a lot of motivational speaking, obviously from your accident and, and what you've been able to do and achieve. What's that like when you're, you're speaking to people and trying to motivate them to get out there and do what you do? Well, there's, there's two different aspects to that, and I'll share two with you. So pre-COVID, a lot of time in the US and overseas, and big companies would want you to come over there and to, you know, rally the troops and motivate the sales team. And, you know, whatever the budget was last year, they're going to add to it this year. And therefore, you know, if that guy could do it, we could do it, that kind of stuff. So uh, I remember doing like just like a highlights reel before you, you know, come onto the stage. And they're standing up and clapping and hooping and hollering and, I'm like, I haven't said anything yet. <laughs> you know? So that energy is, is always very infectious. But equally, uh, Freddie, and let's go to State of Origin because that's coming up uh, soon. Uh, yeah. Excited about that. So Freddie asked me a couple of years ago to come in and have a talk to the lads. So you can see there's a difference there, right? One is motivating sales teams. Another one's having conversations with the best. Uh, and it was a huge honour for me to have that opportunity via Freddie. And I'm just saying that I was average. Uh, my dream was to, um, to try and make it. It wasn't good enough, but... It's a huge honour for me to be in a room with you guys who have made it. And this is the best. And the th- theme I come up with, Freddie, is blue skies. So the sky is always, I mean, you know this, Hoppo, even if it's raining or hailing in Bondi, you know if you jump on a plane and you go above those clouds <laughs> during the day, the sun's still there and the sky's still blue. So um, I'm a diehard blues fan, massive. I-, I love it. I think it's sport at the highest level is always great to watch. So helping to motivate and inspire people is a real, it's a real gift. I'm stimulated by Chain Chopper. I was like something new to look forward to. So there's a fair bit of content there. And if you can um, encourage people to believe in themselves, I think that's the key, then I think we're always capable of more. Now, also, you ended up doing the Dupin Triathlon without a wheelchair. So tell us the story there on, on how that came about and how you were able to do it. Perfect. So I'm considered a T12, thoracic vertebrae 12, incomplete paraplegic. Vertebrae for people who don't know is about belly button height. You'd know that, Hoppo. So my spinal cord was damaged, uh, but there was still some sparing on the pathways. So therefore, I've got use of my left side, not my right. One side's paralyzed, one side isn't. 
were partially paralyzed. So I tried to stand up and I could do that as part of my hospital rehab with parallel bars, but I always needed those parallel bars to support myself. And I could hobble around on crutches for a short distance, but taking my weight on my legs was something I could not do. And therefore, back in 1988, uh, MRI technology was not available. So therefore, I thought, you know, hobbling around requires lots of energy and I'd be wiped out. But I thought, if I'm in my wheelchair, I can go and do stuff and I've got some energy. So that's why I decided to do that. Fast forward time, again, opportunity. A guy called Pete Jacobs won the Hawaiian Ironman in 2012. Pete's a great guy. Uh, he's an ambassador for the foundation, have a foundation for kids in wheelchairs. So Nike kicked that off with a check for 20 grand. We converted it to 4 million. So Pete was injured and he said, man, I'm going to go and see this guy doing stuff a little bit different. I look forward to catching up when I get back. So he comes back. He said, I went up there limping. I came back sprinting three days. So Ken Ware's the guy who Pete introduced me to. And he just has a different methodology, a different way of thinking. And it's about letting go of everything and just trying a new way. Example, let's talk about a chest press. So you and I would have spent a lot of time in the gym and, you know, whack it on and bar. One of the pieces of equipment would have two different pulleys. So therefore, it's not a bar, it's a pulley, and this one could do more than this one as an example. And it always gets you to close your eyes. Now that brings up fear, Hoppo, because, well, it does. And therefore, you, if you put a load or resistance on that, that heightens the, the fear. And this is a very minimal weight. So... That's one example. There was another example with a lap pull down and I had my eyes closed again and he said, are you in the middle? And I said, yes, I could bank, you know, put money on it. There's no way in the world I'm not in the middle. So he said, open your eyes and there was a mirror and I was this far out. In my mind, I thought I was equal and even and I was not. So that really challenged my thinking and he said, we just need to keep on making these adjustments to fine tune. Eventually, by do, trying to do stuff with my legs, and that's uncomfortable initially, but let's try. A little bit of movement on the right, as I mentioned, more so on the left. We found out that I could weight bear, and therefore, is it possible to take that first step? That's a challenge, right? Because it's the fear of, you know, it's quite brittle, it hasn't been used for 25 years and all this stuff. So he took me to the beach, he drew a line in the sand, and he basically said, do you have the courage to start? That's a question. I thought, well, Yes. And then the dream was maybe I could walk on the beach a couple of steps with the wife. Imagine that. So I took a couple of steps and then I fell over. He said, back to the start line. Let's make a few adjustments. Let's, uh, let's try and bring your arms down a bit lower. So I took a few more steps than I did the previous time, fell over, back to the start line. This time, try and lift your knees up a bit higher. Now, anyone watching this on the beach would go, what's that person doing? Because it's so different. But I was just trying to see whether it was possible to do it. And I was able to cover, let's say, 30 metres. And then Ken said, you told me you wanted to walk on the beach. That was your dream with your wife. Here's the beach. There's your wife. Away you go. So he created this opportunity. And therefore, I was very grateful for Ken and for persevering with me. And that's now gone on to help a lot of people from around the world. So that's great news. And then I started to dream again, thinking, I wonder if I can go back and finish what I started. Luckily, the guy in Melbourne, a guy called Darren Piera, he designed his carbon fiber leg brace technology. Old school's Forrest Gump. You might remember. You're old yeah, enough to Forrest remember Gump. that one. So now, now you're talking back then, you know, steel, leather, buckles, boots. Today you're talking lightweight shoes, carbon fiber, you know, Velcro, straps. So I got in touch with him after he reached out. And then I went to spend time, got my legs cast up. And then I thought, okay, let's let's try a conventional triathlon. What have I got to lose? And it was back to the basics again, Hopper. I knew I could swim a kilometer because I'd done the channel. I invited all these athletes to me that I looked up to 
Uh, they all said yes. Freddie B, one of them. Kai Hurst, Crowey. I mean, did all these people, right? Yana Pittman. I just asked whether they'd come and they, they said yes. Phil Kearns, the list goes on. So we did the swim. I'll touch on Steve Ward in a second here because he played a, a huge part. Then I used the leg braces and walking poles to make it to the bike. Uh, I rode the 30 kilometres. And now the, the big challenge, Hoppo, was can I cover 10 kilometres? It's tough, right, because you've been sitting down for a long time. So essentially it was right pole, right left leg, left pole, right leg. So it was that, looking at the ground. Halfway, my legs were toasted. My feet were ripped to shreds. Tugger, Steve Wall, part of the team, he took on the mentor role. As I took off everything, my feet were just not, not nice. He said, get up, keep going, there's more in you. So play on is what he said. Now, loving sport, watching him, what a, again, bloody legend, what an awesome man. I listened to him. So I got back up and eventually we got close to the finish line. Then he said to me, he goes, when you cross the line, uh, that equals a ton in my eyes. Now, Tugger's like, he's a man's man and a leader's leader, right? So we crossed the line together and the dream was to do that with my wife and son. So they got the first cuddles. And Steve's really not a cuddler, but I got a cuddle anyway. That was kind of nice. <laughs> so what, what came out of that, Hoppo, is, you know, that was a dream. and The dream came true. So back to us as people, we can create them if we choose. Uh, we can open the door. We can close the door. Just up to the individuals to decide whether they want to do that or not. Hardest thing I've done as an athlete by country, but I'm so glad that I did because that picture exists. And my wife, Amanda, and our son, Jack, we, we crossed the line. So that was really special. Mate, it's an amazing effort. Yeah, very, very special moment. Mate, now you're, you're endeavouring now onto another sport. It's ocean paddling. And which I love doing. I've been doing it for a very long time. And, and I saw you up there at Foster when you uh, did, your, uh, did your race up there. And that's an amazing effort because I know how hard it is, one, to balance those skis, the ocean skis, and then you've got bump, chop, wind, waves, a whole lot of stuff you've got to deal with. But just tell us how you felt with it. And also with the foot pedals, you know, we just use our left, right, push down and, and, and the ski turns. But you've developed another way on, on how you actually manoeuvre the ski. I thought, wouldn't it be awesome to do that? And I've done Molokai 2005 with buddy David Wells, who was on the front, and he grew up surf life saving. So that was, you know, I had the right man on the front of the craft. My job was to try and add a little bit of value as we, <laughs> as we got there, and we did get there. So thanks to uh, Wellsy for allowing that to happen. And then the piece is okay, if I can do a triathlon by myself, and yes, there was a team to support that, as I mentioned, is it possible to do something like ocean racing? So. You know, ask for help again. Dino's, Dino's the man. So then I want to have a crack at the doctor. I may or may not be good enough, but again, if I try, and this, there's a huge underlying message uh, through this process of trying to inspire kids in wheelchairs, which often don't get the opportunity to be inspired. So if it's possible for me, it's possible for others, and therefore they're another door to open if they choose to do that. So the first thing is, what did, what did Dino say? Pretty basic, which is awesome, given that he's won Molokai nine times. Bloody legend, a massive fan. He said, mate, simple... Um, you need to be able to stay upright. Let's call that stability. And you, need, you need to be able to steer it, as in where you need it to get to in, in relation to doing the doctor there from Rottnest to Sorrento. So that was the first challenge. So I got myself, um, Sam, a good friend in the paddling world, got me a bluefin, an old bluefin. They're the widest ones, as you know, 53. So that's the balance bit. Uh, and then the, the runner, I put like or have been putting a, a Velcro strap around my left foot. Can't use the right. That doesn't work up or down. And therefore, we've got minimal control of the rudder, a little bit left, a little bit right, but over time. And as you know, when you're out there doing the rougher stuff, that you don't have a lot of time to get it around. So when I fell over, and I did quite a few times coming around that headland of the 20K on the Sunday, 
I got a bit excited there getting close to the rocks. But, um, you know, it's just this piece about if I get back up, probably that's a good – I think that's my story really if I was to break it down. It's someone who got knocked down by a truck but just kept on trying to get back up again. And if I get back on the ski, but with the swell and stuff, uh, Hoppo, as you know, it gets more difficult and if you keep falling in, you get tired all the time. But eventually we managed to get to the finish line and they got me on my feet and supported me to get across the finish line. So for me, that was a confidence builder that um, I'm working towards the doctor and uh, Dean said, mate, you're not going to have any of that side push back, bump it off the swells and stuff because there isn't that one coming from Rotto, but um, you're going to get a lot of chop. So I'm trying to do all that I can with you and others to put myself in that environment, trying to come up with better ways to get access to the rudder. And again, that's questions. So um, I feel I'm heading in the right direction and I'm super excited to have a paddle with your buddy and also see whether it's possible for me to do the doctor in uh, November. Yeah, mate, I'm sure you'll uh, you'll get there with your motivation. And uh, yeah, mate, we'll uh, Collaroy this Saturday. We'll uh, we'll get out there and have a paddle and see how we go. You'll be, you'll be up there beating me, mate, I think, one day. <laughs> <laughs> now, tell us a bit about your foundation because that's something you've been touching on throughout this podcast. But uh, tell us about it and, and how people can get involved. Perfect. Thanks, Hopper. So remember when I was in the hospital, I was thinking about how we how do we help kids and Nike was the first port of call with that. So that $20,000, you know, that's what started the foundation off. And then we just started doing these events. So if I could do an event like Molokai, then that was a fundraising opportunity to put money in the in the bank for the foundation. Uh, we help kids in wheelchairs under the age of 18 or up to the age of 18. Uh, often they're single parents. Uh, it's means tested, which means that it goes to where it's needed. You, I shared with you my background. There was a lot of people in particular with low income that, you know, would – and the difference between a wheelchair and a bike, as an example, you, were, you know, you could go to like a bike – grab a bike, put the seat up or down or handlebars and away you go. Where wheelchairs, not so much. They're kind of generally custom made and therefore expensive. So it's been a great opportunity to meet some amazing kids along the way and to help them and their, you know, parents are always very grateful. And I'm reminded of my dad as a kid that he said, son, it's better to give than receive. And that, Hoppo, that's hard to hear when you're a 12-year-old kid at Christmas time. So what are you talking about? But in time, you know, an old head on wise, wise shoulders, you learn that, yes, giving is the best bit. And, you know, you do it for living, saving lives. I can't imagine anything that's more giving than that. But that's what the foundation does. It gives back. There's bridges in the gap and we uh, we try and fill them. And it's a huge honour to make a contribution. And the other thing I thought about, Hoppo, is, you know, both you and I are closer to the back end of it. And I think because I've been to quite a few funerals of recent times, the bit that gets me is what the people had done for community. Whatever they did for themselves, that's fine because that's a given. It's what you should do as a father or husband or mother. Or I thought the ones that give back are the ones that are truly remembered and people just have a, a deeper level of uh, contribution, if you will. Yeah, mate, we've raised $4 million now. Let's, let's raise five. Let's keep on giving these kids opportunities. And maybe they want to be, you know, I don't know, maybe in time being a part of being in, in, the, in the clubhouse there at Bondi Rescue or something, you know, to involve and include. So... The foundation gives back to kids in wheelchairs and the website's uh, johnmcclainfoundation.com.au. Make a contribution and uh, make a kid happier. Mate, it's a great initiative and uh, congratulations on raising that amount of money and so many kids are getting uh, the benefit out of it. Yeah, it's perfect, Hoppo. It's, um, the more you do, the more you want to do. So um, that's the case. And while I can keep doing stuff, because I remember when I couldn't in that spinal unit for four months, there was a lot going on for me there. But um, all these years later with the beautiful people that have helped out. Uh, my life's, uh, I've made the, 
I've made the most of it, and therefore I think about these kids starting from scratch. Let's give them every opportunity as well. Well, mate, you're, you're a great motivator. You know, just listening to your story even motivates me to get out there and do more, you know, and it's, uh, it's great stuff. And I'm sure there's many, many people out there that have been motivated by you and, and are doing a lot. You've helped a lot of people. So well done, mate. Thanks, Hopper. Now, mate, at the end of the podcast, I do a segment, my five fun facts. So I'm going to uh, throw some questions at you and answer them however you want, mate. There's no right and wrong. All right. Uh, what are the best and worst purchases you have ever made? Best would be, I'm always in my current state. So my current state is with you paddling. So let's relate to that. I've got myself a, uh, a ski. <laughs> this is a good story. I met this guy at a coffee shop and he goes, I believe we've got a mutual friend. He had a double fan on his on his roof. He goes, I want to go for a paddle where I live here in Haverfield. So around the bay. And that opened up the opportunity that maybe I could do my own stuff. And that's how that started. So I've got best purchase was get myself a ski. So um, friends can give me a hand to get it on and off the water, but um, I, I could paddle my own thing. So that's a, the best thing. Uh, worst thing is back in the day, I got these customised uh, boots to wear because often I have a lot of pain with my, my feet and other bits and pieces. And we paid a lot of money for these boots and they made no difference. So that's the worst purchase. So I could have put them into another pair of other shoes, but that was a, a bad purchase. Mate, uh, cats or dogs? And why? Dogs. Okay, so... Always had uh, pets growing up, mainly, mainly dogs. When my mum and dad uh, passed away, we got their dog. His name's Ollie. He, Ollie's 13. He's a um, little champion. He's had knee surgeries and spinal surgeries, so we're kind of a lot in common. But he's, um, as you know, mate, pets become part of the family. And the, the bills you go to vets and all the rest of it, it's not dissimilar to going to hospital. And so he's our guy. So his name's Ollie. Mate, uh, what are you most proud of? There's a couple of ways to answer that as a... As a, as a Father, husband, I'm going to say our son, straight up. Uh, if you talk about sport, proud of the fact that Amanda, Jack and I crossed the finish line. Let's call that slash athlete dad. As a pure athlete, uh, the best thing I ever did in sport was to take on the challenge of the Hawaiian Ironman because that was a very big mountain. And, um, you know, with John and the team, we, we got there. So I'm proud of all of those. But what's the most interesting thing you've read or seen this week? That's a good one. So I saw someone sent me a link. Uh, there's now, for the first time ever in science, they've linked, as they talk about this bridge, with spinal cord injuries. There's a guy who can now move uh, via thought. So this guy in Europe, I believe, uh, 12 years ago, he had his accident, couldn't move at all. That's called complete. So they've done an operation to put some electrodes in his brain uh, and then again at the spinal cord on the top of where it was damaged. So therefore they're talking again. And he's able to move. So he's standing up and he's taking steps and he's supported with a walking frame. So mate, that's phenomenal because that's a breakthrough in science. And then you think, okay, what could that look like for others? But yeah, I was fascinated to uh, to look at that article. Uh, mate, what song do you have to sing along with when you hear it? Oh, <laughs> this is easy. So I had my accident, as you know, in 1988, and there was a guy called Bobby McFerrin. He came up with the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. You may or may not recall it. And then I've got this bright orange T-shirt which I didn't do when I was a kid because I would have got bashed up in Mount Druid if I had a bright orange T-shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> but on there, it had Don't Worry, do, uh, Be Happy. And it was always a frame of mind, Hopper, because we're often whatever we think about, that's what we're drawn towards. And if it's negative, we're drawn towards that. And if it's positive, we're drawn towards that. So that song always made me smile because I was grateful for life again. If I worry, I'm going to be upset. And if I'm happy, I'm not. So that's the song that comes to mind. I always sing along. Mate, uh, well answered all those questions. Now, just one thing you touched on. Do you think in the future 
where they've gone now with the the science and technology that potentially in your lifetime you will be able to walk again? It's a great question, isn't it? A very dear friend of mine, just sidetrack will come straight back, uh, Professor John Yeo was his name. He was my specialist at North Shore. It was his life's work to find a cure. He passed recently, a huge honour to be there at his service, the giving, coming back to giving. Man, did that guy give to me and every other person that went through that spinal unit. So that was his dream. Uh, My dream was always I could only ever do what I can do with what I have in front of me. So I would say to my son, for example, playing cards, do the best of what you got and I'll do the best. And mum and and therefore he flogs me in cards. So therefore it's that, right? So if my thought process would have been I'm just going to wait for something to happen, I'd still be in that bedroom versus having this conversation with you. Uh, And therefore I'm, I'm excited and hopeful that stuff is going to go forward because maybe people who have accidents maybe on the beach or on the roadside or whatever that might be might be perfect candidates for this technology coming forward and maybe it might be for people who are old spinal cord injury as well. So I try and make the most of what's presented at any given time, Hoppo, and again, that opportunity, if it's afforded me, you know I'm going to give it a red-hot crack. Mate, well, John, it's an honour having you in the beach chat, mate, having a chat on the podcast and uh... – but I'll catch you down there for a paddle very soon. Perfect. What time am I going to meet you on Saturday, Hopper? Mate, we're 6.30 on the water, I think, so uh, we'll be out there ready to go. Awesome. Look forward to catching up. Thanks, buddy. Now it's time to have a listen to the fans in the mailbag. This week's letter in the mailbag is from Steve, and he says, Hoppo, I've been... uh, Hearing you're promoting Float to Survive, it's a a good message, but I just want to know a bit more about it. Well, Steve, uh, yeah, Float to Survive is a message, but there's a lot more behind that. Uh, We've only just started with the message, but we will start getting out everything else, the meat behind it all, where what to do when you're caught in a rip and what you need to know when you are caught in a rip and also... No different to being in the harbour, the river, dam, backyard pools. We explain everything in depth and that part is still to come. But at the moment, it's just getting the message out there to get that uh, message into people's heads. And the programs behind that will be done by a lot of organisations that are already in that space. So my main role is the message and to promote it as much as I can and hopefully that will resonate with everybody and we can reduce drowning. Thanks Steve for your letter and I'll catch everybody again next week. Thanks everyone for listening. Remember to subscribe to Life's a Beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions, comments or follow us on our social media channels which you can find in our show notes. That's it for today Beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flags.